Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Nehemiah, the 13th chapter. Now, we read two or three verses, and we talked a little bit about it, but uh, not a whole lot. So we'll just pick up with verse 1 and give you uh, an overall view of this chapter as we go. The first thing I want to say is that this chapter is a call to purity. Nehemiah wanted to get the people back where they belong. He wanted them to be revived. He wanted them to be made uh, do things right in the sight of God. And the first uh, few verses show the relationship to the mixed multitude. You'll find that mentioned in verse 3. But let's begin reading with verse 1. It says, On that day they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people. You know, it's a wonderful thing for God's Word to be read. We used to just uh, have, a, when we had a Sunday school superintendent, he'd get up and just read a passage of Scripture before we started Sunday school. And no preaching, nothing, no commenting, just reading Scripture. And used to, we'd read in the back of our hymn books the responsive readings. But reading the Word of God brings a lot of comfort to us. And in this, at this time, they were reading in the book of, the, of Moses in the audience of the people to instruct them in the things of God. It says, And therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God uh, forever. And that was what God said back in the Old Testament. And in verse 2, Because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them, that he should curse them, howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. They see, they wanted, uh, there was uh, Balak, he hired Balaam to curse the people. And uh, Balaam started to open his mouth, and lo and behold, a blessing came out of it. And then he wanted him to, he got on to him again, I think about three different times, and every time he'd get on to Balaam to curse the people, you read the record of it back in the book of Numbers. Every time he wanted him to do that, well, it turned out that he would bless the people. And God turned the curses into a blessing. And we said in uh, our uh, last lesson that God is able to turn even the wrath of man to praise him. God is able to switch things around. Remember Joseph's brothers? They sold him into Egypt because they hated Joseph and they wanted to get rid of him. And in fact, they, they started to kill him. And finally, one of the brethren with a little more sympathy said, well, let's don't kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. So they did that. And uh, he got down there in Egypt. And what they meant, Joseph at one time after he was revealed to his brothers, uh, after there was no corn in, in Egypt and uh, uh, Jacob was hungry, you know, and he sent for food. And uh, during the famine, Joseph had stored up the, the food. And uh, finally, uh, Jacob sent his sons down there and uh, two or three times. And, and uh, Joseph revealed himself to them. And the point I wanted to make is that after it was all said and done and he preserved his family, God turned it around that Joseph was the one that was a preserver of life for his whole family. And so what they meant for evil, he, and Joseph himself says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And so God is able to turn things around. If you remember old Haman, he built a gallows for Mordecai, didn't he? Old wicked Haman. And this gallows that he built for Mordecai, the Jew, turned out to be the gallows that he was hanged upon because God turned his evil uh, scheme against him and he freed Mordecai, they exalted Mordecai, and uh, they hung Haman on the gallows that he had made for Mordecai. And by the way, the curse of the cross of Jesus Christ, the Bible says, Galatians 3, verse 13, that 
Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. God turned that curse of the cross to a blessing for the whole world. And so Paul, in the later part of the book of Galatians, says, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. So that curse of the cross was turned into a blessing, not only for you and I, but for the whole world. So, in verse 2, Howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. Now, in verse 3, Now it came to pass when they had heard the law that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. Now, this is their relationship to the mixed multitude. Remember, there was a mixed multitude that came out of Egypt with the children of Israel. And uh, let me give you a couple of places. Look in Exodus 12, verse 38. You don't have to turn if you don't uh, have time, but Exodus 12, verse 38. And a mixed multitude went up also with them, and flocks and herds, even very much cattle. So when Israel was delivered from bondage, here's this mixed multitude that comes up with them. And later on, this mixed multitude, there's one more reference to them besides this one in Nehemiah. You have it in Numbers chapter 11 and verse 4. This mixed multitude began to murmur, and they lusted. Let me read it. Numbers 11, verse 4. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? And he, the mixed multitude is the one that reminded Israel of all of, it says, the fish and the uh, cucumbers and the onions and the melons and the leeks and the garlic and everything that they had back in Egypt. And it was the mixed multitude that was trying to tempt Israel to be to want to go back into Egypt. And of course we know that the Lord forbade the mixing of the people of God with the nations that knew not God so as to lose their identity. And one of the chief dangers we face today is mixing with the ungodly world and letting the ungodly world mix with the church and and, uh, corrupt the uh, holy atmosphere of the church. It's supposed to be by holy people and godly people. The Bible says it's the church of God, the house of God, the church of the living God. And Paul writes to Timothy and he says that you may know how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. And he says, furthermore, it's the pillar and the ground of the truth. You don't get the truth out here on the streets. You get it in the house of God. And that's where it belongs, in the house of God. So if anyone wants to know what God has to say, we need to have God's house so sanctified and so... Uh, pleasing to God that people can come in and they can hear the truth of what God has to say about the matter. Uh, Now then, in verse 4. Verses 4 through 8, we have relationships with false or to false professors. Those that profess to be and are not. Verses 4 through 8. I'm going to read verse 4 through 8 and then we'll come back and talk about it. And before this, Elisha the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God. Now look was allied unto Tobiah. Now, Tobiah was one of the enemies of Nehemiah. Sanballat, Tobiah. Remember back in chapter 2 and 3, chapter 2, verse 10, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant of the Ammonite, the servant and the Ammonite heard that it grieved them exceedingly that there was a man come to seek the welfare of the children of Israel when Nehemiah was going to build the walls. 
chapter 2, verse 19, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant and the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye will do? Will you rebel against the king? So they were sworn enemies to Nehemiah, to Israel, and to the cause that Nehemiah represented in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem that were torn down, the gates uh, thereof were off their hinges and Many things were burned up, and these were sworn enemies. And look what Elisha, uh, Elisha does. Elisha, the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. And he had prepared for him a great chamber where aforetime they laid the meat offerings and the frankincense and the vessels and the tithes of the corn, the new wine and the oil, which was commanded to be given to the Levites and to the singers and to the porters and the offerings of the priests. But in all this time was not I at Jerusalem. For twelve years, uh, Nehemiah was missing. For in the two and thirtieth year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, came I unto the king, and after certain days obtained I leave of the king. He had returned. And, and I came to Jerusalem and understood, now listen, I understood the evil that Elisha did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God, and it grieved me sore. Therefore, I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. Nehemiah, he kind of got a little angry about this situation. You know, someone says anger is a bad thing. Well, sometimes it's pretty good. The Bible says, be ye angry, doesn't it? And sin not. We can be a little bit angry and a whole lot angry at the world and the morals and this situation in the world and the devil himself. And I don't believe God is going to hold that against us because Jesus was angry at one time and he told them that he was angry because they got on to him for healing a person on the Sabbath day. And Jesus went into the temple and he cleansed the temple at the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry. And he took a cat of nine tails and scourge and he drove out all the money changers and those that bought and sold in the house of God. And he says, my father's house is a house of prayer and you've made it a den of thieves. And if we could get a little bit of that under our skin today, we'd deal more with the opposition against the church and against the things of God. wouldn't hurt to have a little bit of it. Now, I'm not talking about being angry at one another. And by the way, even in that scripture, it says, Be ye angry and sin not. And then it says, Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, doesn't it? So we don't want to go, go to bed being hateful towards someone. But we do, uh, I heard a preacher say one time, he that he was angry every time he got up to preach. At, at least it's uh, the devil. A little bit angry at the devil. So uh, I don't think that hurts very much. But look what uh, Nehemiah did. It says, It grieved me sore. It grieved me sore. Verse 8, Therefore I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I commanded, and they cleansed the chambers. They cleansed the chambers. We, we say that there was a house cleaning going on. Boy, if we had churches today, local churches all over the nation, that would cleanse the house of God, things would be different. Do you know that? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that, there that doesn't belong there in many churches across the land. I mean, they become so uh, more, uh, immoral and, and worldly and putting away the things of God out of your sight and, and putting in things that do not belong there. It's kind of like when they brought in all the money changers in the days of Jesus. And Jesus said, I won't put up with this. That's going to be called a house of prayer. And you've made it what? 
a den of thieves. And by the way, we could make the house of God a den of thieves when we rob people of what they ought to be getting in the house of God. It could be that way. Uh, Elishab, the priest, was allied to this Tobiah. And he prepared him this chamber in the courts of the house of God. And to- Tobiah had the name of a saint. Tobiah means goodness of Jehovah, by the way. But he had the nature of a godless Sinner. It's one thing to have the, the right name and the wrong character, isn't it? I remember uh, C.H. Spurgeon in one of his writings, one of his sermons, said that there was a man uh, showing us the contradiction of names. He said there was a man that walked out through the cemetery and he beheld a, a little headstone there that says, Methuselah Coney lived to the age of three years or so. It's kind of a contradiction in the name, isn't it? Methuselah, the oldest man that ever lived. And here was a man named Methuselah. I used to know a man by the name of Christian, and he was a bartender. But, uh, you know, I don't think it's a good occupation for a Christian, but nevertheless, he's, he's a good guy. I liked him and all. But we have a lot of these good fellows. I think Tobiah was probably a pretty good guy. And therefore, Elisha said, well, we'll make you a chamber in the house of God. And when you start doing things like that, you're asking for trouble. And especially if there's a Nehemiah on the scene, he's going to come and throw his stuff out. Look what he did. It says in verse 8, And it grieved me sore, therefore I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. He says, you're moving out. It says, Elisha moved you in, but you're moving out now. And that's what we need today is somebody that will move out. This old enemy that mocked uh, when they were building. In chapter 4, verse 3, they were mocking Nehemiah when he was building the walls. Now he's, he's comfortably quartered in the house of God. And he had no portion or right. He wanted all the personal comfort, but in heart, he denied. And this was an unholy alliance that Elisha had made with him. It led to God-dishonoring compromise. You know, sometimes we compromise too much with this good old fellow along the way and say, well, he's a pretty good guy. Yeah, he's pretty good, but he's the one that's been your sworn enemy all the time. Why compromise with that kind of person? You don't need to do it. Nehemiah would not tolerate it, and he cast out all this stuff that... Uh, Tobiah had, and he occupied the chamber with the things of God. Look, he says he cleansed, verse 9, Then I commanded, and they cleansed the chambers, and thither brought I again what belonged in there, the vessels of the house of God with the meat offering and the frankincense. He said, I put, I put back in the house of God what belonged there, and I throwed out what didn't belong there. And Tobiah and his stuff didn't belong in that house of God. And he got rid of it. Tobiah's household effects may have been very good, but were his filthiness in the holy place. He might have had good clothing and good good stuff. He said all the stuff might have been pretty good uh, material possessions, and it might have been all that he needed. But the reason that they were uh, filthiness is they were in God's holy place and something else belonged there. They were still to- Tobias and they were not God's. And that's the difference. Now the next thing I want you to see is in verse uh, 9 through 14 it begins to show us the relationship to the house of God. The first one that we gave you was the relationship to the mixed multitude. The second one the relationship to false professors. And that's what Nehemiah did to Tobiah. And then Verses 9 through 14, relationship to the house of God. Then I commanded, and they cleansed the chambers, and thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God with a meat offering and the frankincense. And I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. Well, before we read any further, let's think about it. The place that was to store and to prepare for the, the portions of the Levites and all these 
was occupied by this enemy, by Tobiah, in the house of God. They didn't even have any place to bring it and to put it up and to, and to distribute it to leave the, the Levites and the others that were due their portions. Because something had happened that the church had become, or we'll call it the, the house of God at that time, that it can be applied to the church of the New Testament if we were to use it as a typical or symbolical uh, representation of what needed to be done. So what Tobiah brought in pushed out what ought to have been in there. And what should have been in there was a provision for these Levites. And it had not been given them. For the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled everyone to his field. They had to go. They were unpaid ministers. Then, I, then notice verse 11. Then contended I with the rulers. I want you to get that. Then contended I with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? Who did he contend with? You see, someone is responsible for that condition ever existing. If you don't have rulers and teachers and preachers and leaders that will do the right thing, then it will all go, you know, we got this common saying nowadays, go to pot. Isn't that right? And that's what will happen. It'll just end up bad. So you have to have someone that will lead and guide. Now, Nehemiah was not a dictator, but he was a leader. Remember, he... He went out and he inspected the sad condition of the whole city before he told anyone. He took a very few chosen men with him. Then he, then he organized the people and he exhorted the people and he put them in their place and, and he got them to cooperate and they did the work and they did it successfully under his leadership. And that's what we need as leaders today. Like I think Nehemiah is a good example of a good leader. And... So he says, then contended I with the rulers. He says, you fellows that should be in charge, you let this happen to, to, the, to the people. And said, why is the house of God forsaken? He says, why have you let this happen? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. <laughs> well, that's, that's good. Isn't it? Put everyone in his place. Then brought all Judah, when he had set them in their place, what? Then brought all Judah the tithe of the corn and the new wine and... And the oil unto the treasuries. That's the, if you have a marginal reference, it says storehouses. And I made treasures over the treasuries. And he names uh, Shelemiah the priest and Zadok the scribe. They have priests and the scribe. And of the Levites, Pedaiah. And next unto them was Hanan, and the son of Zakur, the son of Mataniah. For they were counted faithful. And their office was to distribute unto their brethren. He got faithful men in there. He got some leaders and workers and those that were set over any responsible position that would do the work and fill their position faithfully. I'm proud of this church having faithful teachers and preachers and, and uh, uh, deacons and uh, trustees and everyone and laymen. All the men and women, boys and girls of the church, I believe you could examine, you'd find they're faithful. They're faithful to God and they're faithful to the house of God. And I'm not talking about being in every service whenever there's sickness or problems or trials. I know people, we're all human beings and we have times that we just can't be at church. And, uh, you know, sometimes people, I've heard preachers browbeat of fellas when they had to miss a church service. Well, that's not the right thing to do. Encourage him and Find out what problem he had and why he couldn't be there. And then encourage him to be there when he can. And I believe that there are certain folks in the church that we have to, to deal with in those ways. Uh, anyway, he made these fellows uh, treasures. The danger for a Christian is to let uh, self-interest overrule the claims of God. 
And that's what these people were doing. It's a reproof to these people when they do so. And it's a reproach to God that his house should be forsaken and the needs not be supplied. And Malachi says to hold, withhold the tithes and the offerings is the equivalent to robbing God. It says, will a man rob God? Yeah, you have robbed me with your tithes and your offerings. So there's such a thing as people uh, doing that and withholding from God. Now then, verse 14, I want you to notice what it says. Remember me, O my God, concerning this. Nehemiah mentions this, remember me, several times. Look at verse, uh, uh, let's read verse 13, I mean 14, and then I want you to read verse 20, the latter part of verse 22 concerning the Sabbath, and the latter part of verse 29 concerning the marriage relationships. Look at verse 14 and 22 and 29. And, and by the way, 31. In verse 14, he says, Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and why not, not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the offices thereof. He says, God, I want you to remember what I've tried to do for this people. Now look at verse uh, 22. I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and they should come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. It was concerning the Sabbath. Remember me, O my God, concerning this also. And spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. Drop down to verse 29. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood. He's asking God to remember those that had defiled the priesthood. Now then, in verse 31. And for the wood offering, at times appointed, and for the first fruits, remember me, O my God, for good. The last thing that old Nehemiah says in the book of Nehemiah is remember me for good. He wanted God to consider what he was trying to do in restoring all of these things that were wrong in the church. And he did. He brought it back and brought it around. Now then, beginning with verse 15, if you'll look at it, we have two more subject matters in this uh, chapter. And verse 15 is relationship to the day of rest. And that's 15 through verse 22. And then verses 23 through 25 is relationship, uh, marriage relationships that we want to deal with. And then we... Come to the end of the chapter. So, this particular section, verses 15 through 22, relationship to the day of rest. Now then, verse 15 says, In those days saw I in, the, in Judah some, tre- some treading wine presses on the Sabbath. By the way, this was against God's law, against God's uh, word, and bringing in sheaves. And lading asses, and also wine, grapes, and figs, and all manner of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the, in the day wherein they sold victuals. There dwelt men of Tyre also there, which brought fish, and all manner of ware, and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then, see, when, when Nehemiah, when Nehemiah saw them desecrating the Sabbath day and disregarding God's word concerning the Sabbath. It says, Then I contended with the nobles of Judah. Who did he get on to? The nobles. And said unto them, What evil is this that ye do and profane the Sabbath day? Did not our fathers, did not your fathers thus, and did not our God bring all this evil upon us? Look, and upon this city... Yet you bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut. He said, we're not going to have this traffic coming in and, and selling and buying on the Sabbath day when God said it's not to be done. 
and bringing in, uh, going out and gathering sheaves and all the other stuff that they were doing, and charged that they should not be open till after the Sabbath. And some of my servants set eye at the gates that there should uh, no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and the sellers of all kind of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. They stood outside the gate. They were outside the city once or twice. Then I testified against them and said, You know, Nehemiah, he had a little bit of courage, didn't he? I want you to notice this verse. Then I testified against them and said unto them, Why lodge you about the wall? If you do so again, what does it say? I will lay hands on you from that time forth. Came they no more on the Sabbath. He said, I'm going to get a hold of you guys if you do that. And I don't think he talked about laying hands on them to heal them either. He said, I'm going to lay hands on you and I'm going to toss you out of here because this is not right and it's against God's Word. That's what he had in mind. Now, and I commanded, verse 22, and I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O oh my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. <clears throat> now then, buying and selling, transferring goods on the Sabbath day was against God's word. It was an infringement of the law of God. You read Leviticus 23, verse 32, if you want a reference. I won't go back and get it now. But Leviticus 23, 32. Now then, we in this day and hour, we keep the Lord's day. The day of Christ's resurrection. And it's a day of worship and a day of service. Our rest is in Christ. But we are still to have a day of rest on the Lord's day. And I don't see any contradiction in seeing the Lord's day as both a day of service and a day of rest. Because we have rest in Christ, don't we? Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Then, what does he say? You have rest. But he says, take my yoke upon you. You have service too, don't you? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lonely in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To me, this means that even on the Sabbath day, you can have rest in Christ and you can serve Christ, take that yoke of service, and you can still have another rest added. Did you know there are two rests in that passage of Scripture? He said, I will give you rest. And he says, you shall find rest. He says, the first rest of salvation. This is Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, isn't it? He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest. Yoke represents service unto your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, a lot of folks have received the rest of salvation from Christ, but they have not yet found a rest in serving Christ. But it, to me, it's just as much of a rest and a peace of heart to serve. It's, it's great to have that initial rest given to you. That is salvation. But you can't have service until you have salvation. You can't serve God until you're saved. You really can't do that. You may be trying to do it, but you have to have that first. Jesus said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, salvation, and Him only shalt thou serve. And it's never in the reverse order in the Bible. You have to have salvation, and then you can serve God. we got a lot of folks around here, unconverted people, professing Christians around the world, that are trying their best to serve God in some humanitarian way. doesn't mean that some of it's not good. It doesn't mean that some humanitarian gesture is not good. But... It's only counted as service to God whenever you're, you're already saved. 
I believe I can prove that. Look at John chapter 3, if you will, quickly. Third chapter of the Gospel of John. I want you to read verse uh, 18 and follow me down. Begin with verse 18. He that believeth on Him, on Christ, John chapter 3, verse 18, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now look, verse 19. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Now watch this. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But look at verse 21. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest. What what makes your deeds manifest? When you've come to the light. That they are wrought in God. You see, they're not made manifest if if you have not come to the light. And if you've come to the light, your deeds are made manifest that they're wrought in God. Salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. You see the the order of it? And it's always the same. It never changes. Now then, uh, beginning with verse 23 through the rest of the chapter, and we'll try to get this. I want to finish this chapter before we go. In verse 23, In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod and Ammon and of Moab. Now these were cursed nations. They led God's people into idolatry and sin of every kind. Now look. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. The fruit of this unholy alliance was a marred, mongrel testimony that was given. The children were not to blame for this defect. It was because of what the children of Israel had done that was against God's Word that had brought this about. You know, we've got a lot of diseases in the world today, and a lot of people are not to blame for those diseases, but a lot of them are brought about because of sin. And I think a lot of you know what I'm talking about. So, we we get into these things wherein uh, people say, well, you know, why did this happen that you have such a situation? Did not we bring it on ourselves? And that's what happens time and time again. Now, verse 25, and I contended. What did Nehemiah do? He was a contender, wasn't he? Talking about contend for the faith and contending for the things of God, he didn't mind being making himself known when he knew he was right. And by the way, if you don't know you're right, don't make yourself known. But if you know you're right, do make yourself known. That's what God expects of us. Just like old Peter that day when they got on to him for healing the man at the pool. And what these, uh, um, not uh, man at the pool, man at the gate there when he went up to the temple to pray. And he says, we ought to obey God rather than men. He knew he was right in obeying God. And they were on his case about that, weren't they? Now look, and I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their uh, daughters unto your sons or, uh, or for yourselves. He says, You cannot have these unholy marriages. And he goes to the example. Look at this example. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, now look at this, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. And he was connected, Solomon, with some of the same people, the Ashdodites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, in verse 23, look at that as well as Egyptians, 
And others, the Pharaoh gave, his real main wife was an Egyptian. And so Solomon, and probably for political influence, he had all these women around him. He had uh, 700 wives and 300 concubines. I mean, a thousand. Let's look back there. First Kings chapter, look in First Kings chapter 11. Okay. Verse 1, But King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh. Women of Moab, look, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said, look at this, unto the children of Israel, ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come into you, for unto you, for surely they will turn away, here's the reason, Surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And that's the reason God said you can't do that. Do you want to be associated with folks today that's going to turn away your heart from God in the, in the New Testament church? And that's why we believe in Christian marriages. That's why we believe it's uh, unequally yoked together with unbelievers in many ways when we unequally yoke ourselves with someone that is not a Christian. Whether it be in the business world, whether it be in the uh, matrimonial, in the in marriage uh, situation, or whatever it may be, if you're yoked together, and Paul tells us that those, when those things happen, you're supposed to try to win the other one. I'm not saying go out and, and cause all havoc because of it, but you're to try to witness and win the other one. And Peter tells us the way that is to be done. Remember in First Peter chapter 5, the way that you're to try to win. I'm chasing a few rabbits, but I'll catch one in a minute. Look in chapter 5, 1 Peter. It says, uh, no, it's chapter 3. Chapter 3. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, listen, that they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, by the way a wife lives before that unbelieving husband, that they may be won by your testimony. And Paul speaks of much the same thing, and we won't give you all the references. But I'm just saying that these women that uh, Solomon was associated with caused him to sin against God. Let me read. go ahead and read. We're in 1 Kings 11. Uh, it says in verse uh, 3, And he had 700 wives, princes, and 300 concubines, in his, and his wives, look, turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. God said it so. If God says it'll happen, it'll happen. You don't have to wonder about whether it's right or wrong. If God says that's the reason it's going to, that you do this and that I don't want you to do this because of the results, then you can rest assured those will be the results of it. He says, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now look, for it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, after Malcolm, the abomination of the Ammonites, and Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord as did, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build in high place for Chemos, the abomination of Moab. Look at this. In the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molak, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. Talk about falling into idolatry. And what was the cause? Disobedience to God's word. And he thought, God, you know, these are a lot of pretty women and it'll be influential to me to have all this great uh, group around me and 
for my political advantage. You know, Solomon was the richest king of all time. Jesus referred to him and says, Would not Solomon in all of his glory, even Solomon in all of his glory, was not arrayed like this when he's speaking to the lilies of the field and so on and so forth. So we find that he was rich and he was well off, and yet God was angry with him. Look at verse 9. And the Lord was angry with Solomon. Look. Because his heart was turned away from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Boy, listen. It cost him his kingdom. Look at the next verse. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, and will give it to thy servant. Now look at verse 12. Notwithstanding, in thy days I will not do it for David thy father's sake. He said, I'm going to keep my promise to David. But he says, I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. And he did. You see, what God says is true, and he's going to keep his word. And he's going to do it. Now let me finish in our chapter. You're in Nehemiah chapter 13, the last part of verse 26. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. Shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil, to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives? And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Elisha, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat the Horonite. See, they had kinfolks with these enemies of Nehemiah. Therefore, I chased him from me. But I'm not going to put up with this either. Sometimes it, it's a hard thing to cleanse your own household, isn't it? And this, this high priest... In the house of God, Elisha was son-in-law to Sanballat, the Hornite. Remember Sanballat and Tobiah and all those were enemies of Nehemiah back there? And they were against him building the wall. Remember them, oh my God. He says, God, I'm going to just turn them over to you like Paul said. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord, he says, the Lord reward him according to his works. Said, I'll let God take care of that. So did Nehemiah. Remember me, them, O oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. Thus cleansed I them, thus cleansed I them from all strangers and appointed the wards of the priests and the Levites, everyone in his business. He restored things like they needed to be. And for the wood offering at times appointed and for the first fruits, remember me, O oh my God, for good. We need some courageous champions like Nehemiah. We need some in the pews and in the pulpits. And by the way, if you don't have them in the pulpits, you're not going to have them in the pews. So you've got to have men of courage that will stand and tell what it's all about. We thank you for your patience and your kind attention. We'll stand and be dismissed in prayer.